Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. All right, so I've got two of my very, very good... Uh, well, I can't say that about you We're yet. Just... Very, very new acquaintance, but... So what's really cool about this guy to my left, and I'll probably let Barklow introduce him a little more since you introduced me to Nick. But, and we'll get into it later, but I'm certain that Nick has the missing piece of the puzzle for people that are getting into hunting to find this critical step of, okay, I've got my hunter safety. I've, you know, I've got some knowledge of the storm. I've got my school a knock. You bought your Elevate bow. <laughs> I wasn't going that far. <laughs> Easy. And now it's where do I go? And, and where can I go for this tag? Or where can I go for that? And, you know, I don't really know public or I don't have enough time to really spend that extra time to figure out the spot in the public. Or I have no idea how to, like, knock on a door and get permission and I don't know anyone none of my a real popular one is none of my friends hunt yeah which is so then what do you do because like I was lucky enough to where when I got taught to bow hunt my grandfather took me out on our family's place and I experienced turkey hunting and then deer hunting what was your first Sparklow? so I grew up in Ohio so kind of self-taught archery white-tailed deer hunter I was miserable at it. I mean, it took a decade to find success. But, you know, back then, there was lots of public land in Ohio. Um, but it was tough. And, I mean, I wished I'd have had a place where somebody could have directed me to go and I'd at least had a fighting chance. Um, and nowadays, you know, it's just gotten progressively harder to find a place you know, depending on the species and, and what state and what you're trying to do. I mean, honestly, that to me is the single biggest barrier of entry to hunting. You can buy all the gear, you can shoot, you can be awesome at it, you can train. And if you got no place to go where there's an animal, what's the point? And so that it's a really critical component. And what's so important is public, public hunting is so important. And there's several different aspects of becoming a bow hunter that are important for you to learn. Public hunting is 100% needed, and we gotta we gotta go there. But it's also very intimidating for people that, you know, the only time they've been on something like that was today. And then you got to figure out, you know, where do I go? And maybe you find a spot on a map, but you go and realize, oh, four other guys had that choice. Now I need to make an instant decision up here. And the reality is, I want to grow bow hunting, and public hunting is much harder most of the time so some people not having continual success or not having any success continually is enough to break them and then they just don't really come back and that's not what i want either so i was fortunate to start on a family place and then learn to hunt public but then i also really spent a lot of time knocking on doors and trying to get permission on on private ground which happened um However, now Nick has come forward with this concept that I think is so amazing that I wanted to make sure, you know, I gave you a platform to talk about it. So Nick 
has a company called Land Trust. And what they're doing is they're actually recruiting, and I'll let you explain it better. Sure. I'll, I'll do the cliff note version. But they're essentially recruiting private grounds where people ha- would like to have hunters there and maybe help with population or where people need to help pay for a lot of their taxes on this land that's private and in family trusts. And so now what you can do is you can actually go in and book private hunting days like you would an Airbnb. So if you're like, hey, I have five days vacation, I would love to go up and hunt north central uh, Nebraska where I can buy a tag over the counter the day before and you can find all these places within land trust where you can be like, okay, I can go hunt here and I'm the only guy there and I can book X amount of days. Or like you three dudes right here. Nice. Get after it. <laughs> these three guys right here. If all of you had seven days vacation and you didn't have a place to hunt that was private ground, each of you could hunt a week on a place and literally tie that up for 21 days to where now you're hunting the prime rut for whitetails and you get a week, you get a week, you get a week and you guys have an awesome place to hunt and really all you're doing is booking seven days on that place. I just think that's so easy for people trying to get in, you know, where you have a friend in town that says, hey, I'd love to try hunting. I can try hunting a day. You could go on and be like, where could we go today? And give this guy an adventure. But I'll, Nick, I'll let you introduce yourself and kind of where your origin for this came from. Sure. Like, why did you decide to do this? It had to stem from one of those experiences, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, appreciate you guys having me up here. Um, yeah, it really started from I wanted to use it. You know, I found myself, I grew up hunting. I was hunting at, I think my first hunt I remember was three years old, dove hunting in the Southern California deserts in 120 degrees. Um, so it's been my whole life, but I, you know, my career took me to New York and Chicago and a bunch of different cities in my 20s, and uh, I didn't get to hunt a lot then. So I came back and lived in Colorado for a while uh, and then moved up to Bozeman in 16 and uh, found myself, you know, lots of public land, awesome, got out there, got after it. But, you know, I found myself saying, man, I would love to hunt some of these places close into town that are farms or ranches and I'd be happy to pay them for it I mean it's a valuable thing and uh so that's you know I I started this from that impetus of like I wanted to use it you know and as we've progressed you know a huge majority of our landowners are production agriculture these are people who are multi-generation farm and ranch families and uh, these are really important people for the stewardship of land, habitat, for all the wildlife that we love to enjoy. And they're running a business operation. So we might look out and see 400 head of elk on a ranch and say, oh, man, that's awesome. They're looking at it like, holy shit, they're going to break our fence. We've got to go fix that. They're eating our hay crop. They're doing all this stuff, right? So we see this as a way to not only open up access to, we have a million acres on the platform today. We'll probably double it this year. Um, of places that you or I or no one else other than friends and family would ever get to go out. Now you can. And it's a way for them to, you know, generate some income for their operation, pay property taxes, pay for equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a really interesting value exchange that we find landowners enjoy. Um, We all know that there's been tension between hunters and landowners in the past. 
we have a 99% five-star rating from our landowners to our guests. And I think that's, it speaks for itself. Um, you know, it's just like these other platforms you've used in the past. You directly message with landowners, they talk to you, you can talk to them on the phone, you ask these people about their place, and you know, if it sounds good, book it. But I agree, as we were talking about earlier, man, as we recruit new hunters in, especially archery, public land archery hunting for a newbie, that's a really tough thing. And how many, at five, ten times out and seeing nothing and running into 20 people, how many times is it going to take till they say, you know what, I'll go play tennis or golf or do something like that? Very true. What do you think, Big B? Yeah, Nick, so what I think is so cool about Land Trust, and, you know, you and I, I mean, our offices are 100 yards apart, but what I think is so cool is, you know, I'm able to, you know, I have my mule deer spot. I have my elk spot, but I don't have a turkey spot. And out west, like most of the great whitetail property, it's all private river bottom. And, and so I can just literally go on there, like Airbnb is the yep. best example. And I'm like, well, damn, I live here. I'm in the state, but I don't have a piece of private ground on a river bottom. And I can go to land trust and get it. If you're somebody who lives back east, though, and you want to hunt a new species, and you're going to burn your vacation and gas and, you know, time away from family. It's like, do you want to go roll the dice necessarily to find a great bear spot or a great, uh, you know, black bear spot or antelope spot or turkey spot? Or would you rather know I'm going to be the only person or my buddies and I are going to be the only person? And and I believe the statistic out west is, for an archery hunter on public land to kill his first elk, not bull, elk, seven to ten years. How many people are going to drive from Pennsylvania to Colorado ten years in a row, right? And then, like, stack the odds in your favor is what I say about all of it. Totally. Gear, training, land, all of it. Stack the odds in your favor. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we really like to evangelize is – you know, outcome. Look, if you need to kill a 200-inch mule deer, you should hire a guide, and you should go get it. Uh, this is not a platform for that. Now, I'm, we do have properties that that could happen on, so I'm not saying that, but I think it's a mindset. So what we see a lot of, um, we see groups of people, either friends or families, who are five, seven days, this is their big hunting vacation of the year, and they're traveling from Missouri to Montana, or, you know, Kansas or Nebraska or whatever. And the outcome is the experience itself. It's going and having this beautiful place, meeting the families. I mean, these are six generations, I think, is our oldest family right now. Right now, Getting to interact with these people, see how they care for the land. Yes, there is usually a, a healthy amount of wildlife on these places because they are production agriculture grounds and food, water, shelter are all there. But, uh, you know, we really like to stress, like, hey, if, if you drew a tag that's, you know, you've put in for 25 years and you need to get a 380 bull, like, you probably should get a guide. Now we do have some ranches in those areas where you could go do it yourself, but it really is for the do it yourself and the experience of going into these places and having it to yourself for the day or the time. That is what we really like to see. And then the other type is what you're talking about, why I started it. Hey, I've got, I negotiated six hours away from my wife and kids on a Saturday morning. I can go six minutes from my house and, you know, shoot a whitetail or just have it to myself. Right. So, you know, those are the two types of things we see a lot of. Yeah, it's it's it is the missing piece of the puzzle. You know, I I recently uh, partnered with Huntwise because I really wanted to be able to give very 
entry-level education to the right people. Because I also understand a big part of our followers are very technical and very, I mean, they're very smart and they're self-sufficient in archery. So with that said, I don't want to lose them by going really back to like your first day walking out of a bow hunter's education class. With HuntWise, I have that ability, but yet I also have the ability to do a super upper end educational video that would go on the same platform that I, th- I just thought it, for me, it was the best fit. There's a lot of great platforms, but once I had talked to, you know, specifically Nate and Matt, I just realized these guys, their ethos is in line with, with, with where I want to go with my last years in what I love. You know, I want to bring as many people in before I'm out to where I, you know, I feel like I gave back to what has given so much to me. And the missing, and even talking about that, I talked to John about it. And he said, dude, that's freaking awesome. And he said, but the missing piece is... And then that's how we got on the subject of you. And he's like, dude, do you know about this? And I said, no. And, and I'm like, yeah, that is the missing piece. That, you know, that's the missing piece. And honestly, some of the hardest things about getting permission is getting your first permission. It, I mean, it's, it's literally a, it's a barrier that you don't know that you can cross until all of a sudden you go and talk to someone and become friends with someone and you start to see them try hard to make sure their land is ready for the yeah. five days that you come there. And once you do that, well, then, then it's different. But what will be nice about this is now you can go in and I'm an Airbnb person. There's several that I go to and it's just like that was a cool place to stay didn't really have any communication with the person but there's also been some where the person came in and like you know told us a little bit about the place and we you know next thing you know you're friends and texting with the people where you rented their house for a day and and you know and i'm like hey if we ever come back here i want to come see you you know and so that's what starts to happen when you interact with landowners, yep. you have to like br- break the barrier. And also now you realize, you know, that social connection isn't really that awkward because you do have a common denominator. You just didn't when you first opened the door and said, hey, I'm this tall guy with a big smile. My name's John. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, I think hopefully you like teeth. We see that, too. I mean, you read the reviews of people who you know book places with us in you know, the guests who are reviewing the landers, they talk about spending time with the family and getting to see the, understanding the operations, how the history of these places. And, and they're like, oh yeah, and we got a deer too, that was cool. You know, it was like almost, kind of almost an afterthought, the whole experience itself. And for me, you know, a higher level ethos for us is reconnecting the 99% of us who are not producers, meaning farmers or ranchers, who grow our food, fuel and fiber, with the people doing that. And guess what? They own 900 million acres of private land in the U.S., which is 65% of all the private land in the lower 48. So if we want to have healthy habitat uh, for wildlife and healthy populations and more and more access for hunting and fishing, and you know, we facilitate a lot of other stuff, we have to have a great relationship with those people. Because when I started this, people were like, landowners are never going to do that. They'll never do it because they've been burned so many times. And I asked you that question. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A million acres later, you know, they, it turns out they will do it, but, but it has to be the right model, right? Well, that brings up another topic that 
Barklow, a lot of what we talk about people here, but there's a few subjects that you and I talk about on our private time because we both know how important they are to longevity of our industry and kind of, would you call it like, it was, it was, it was just like outdoor manners that my grandfather and my uncle taught me. I don't know if it's, if it's ethics or if it's manners. Etiquette. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a passed down etiquette that when you're the kid that grows up hunting with that family or like in Wisconsin, you see like four generations in a deer drive camp that they all take that kids are out of school it's you got five days to drive deer and like that becomes a thing and the rules of how that goes down and the the landowners they have permission from and take taking them a cake before christmas and the kid like seeing the dad doing that you know to the landowner the the downside to what i'm and i i told you i take responsibility because i'm bringing a lot of new people into bow hunting especially from the military community um, that have never came up with like that guidance of, yeah, I don't, you know, manners isn't the right word. It's, it's almost like there's not a word, but the small things like when a, a private landowner lets you use their property, knowing how privileged you were for that and making sure you leave it better than you've got there. But like some of that stuff, or if you book a, a yep. private hunt, like yep. you said, hey, this is a great tag. Now someone's going, they're booking an outfitter and they're going for the first time. Simple things like there is an etiquette to, to tip a guide. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, and, 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 there's, and if the guide is going above and beyond like, hey, dude, I'll take all that stuff to the processor for you. I know you got to get your flight. I'll also take this to the taxidermy, and as soon as it's done, I'll call you and I'll ship it. Like, each of those things are things that you shouldn't, like, take for granted as a hunter because I've seen a lot of new people that come in that are offensive in, yeah. a, in a certain manner. And offensive is a, a strong word for it, but they definitely make people going like, dang, I didn't really feel like they were that grateful. Yeah, and that doesn't change, by the way, if, even if you, you know, pay that landowner for access. That's still, that's where they live and they make all their money from. Yes. And it's been in their family for whatever, many generations. And so, you know, things like, hey, it just rained. Maybe don't drive on that road and rut it out. Or no, don't drive on it. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Uh, maybe leave every gate the way you found it. And just a lot of these types of things that if you didn't grow up doing this and you didn't, uh, you know, like you said, get matriculated through you might just have no idea, but it's that kind of stuff. It takes one rutted out road or cattle being let out or trash or stuff like that that changes a landowner to say, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, so when, you're, when you get into hunting at a later stage in life. Bring that closer. So, so, you know, not when you're a kid hunting with your dad, hunting with your granddad. And, and you know, we know lots of these people, obviously. If, if you don't have a mentor there, if you don't have somebody to teach you those manners and, and ethics, like you said you take responsibility. Quite frankly, I take responsibility too because if we don't, who will, right? Because these, these uh, people that get into this later stage in life, like if, if there's no course to take, most, most people take hunter education when they're children, right? Like I can't even, I, mean, I can remember the course, but 
I was maybe 12 years old, something like that. Um, but if, if, if there's not a platform, if there's not people sitting there promoting that, then, then it's almost like shame on me, shame on them after we tell them, but until we tell them that, like they're not gonna know. And so to keep hunters uh, in a good light yeah. and to make sure that, that landowners, if I'm knocking on a door, going through land trust or whatever it is, or even going on public land, that I know, hey man, there's a tree stand here and there's a guy sitting in it. I probably shouldn't be here right now, right? Or I probably yeah. shouldn't cut a game camera off somebody's tree. Like stuff that literally, I mean, you know, tips and the whole thing. But I mean, it, literally we've seen the spectrum. Yeah. So, so that's what I was stoked about when you started talking to me about the HuntWise platform. And then I was like, educate, but now give people a place to go find success, have that opportunity Hopefully, you know, I don't know what the education platform is going to look like, but hopefully you get to the point where you teach those kind of things to whatever level. That is going to help the entire community just flourish and grow because if these people don't get that, they're going to come in three years later, they don't find success, they're going to go play tennis, yep. right? Nobody likes playing tennis. Like, let's be honest, right? But they're going to go play tennis if they don't find success. Sharon in and I are currently playing tennis. <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> but I mean, look at the industry has gotten, we're so focused on technical, like gear and, you know, all, the, the way to shoot that way dude. Way to that point fingers at both top technical <laughs> nerds. But that dude that was in the Shots group that shot with Markle, me. I thought you vouched for this guy. That dude yeah. that shot in the group with me, he Nick. started shooting in February and he's yeah. hitting, like, dude, seven months, he's hitting 100 whatever yards. Yeah, smoking the freaking sticker. You know, he's like, hey, I started seven months ago. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that's crazy. This it's is, awesome. it's almost like we skipped that, that foundation level. Yeah, we really did. We skipped, and honestly, we are responsible. I'm not even lying. We definitely are. Because yeah. when I look back at it, we taught a lot of people on one of my leases in Oklahoma on hogs. Yep. And so on hogs, there's <laughs> no rules. <laughs> it's, there's less rules. Again, we are responsible. So as much as you say like, okay, there's a bunch of hogs, we're just going to get after it. Because that's what we were there for, for the landowner. So we didn't, we taught people in the winter and then that was kind of essentially spring training where we taught them how to hit home runs. And, and it, there was just a lot of things. When you, a lot of times, even when you go hunt on someone's land for hogs, they don't even want to talk to you. They're just like, hey, if you guys want to go out, here's where they are. Just shoot everyone you see. So it, it's just, you know, it was like it was different. And what should have happened was, you know, it's almost like there should have been talked about, hey, this shot. This isn't a first shot, you know, like you don't want to, you don't, you're not going to take your first shot on Bigfoot at a hundred yards. But if you made a bad shot on Bigfoot at 30 yards and he ran out there on that hill and turned around and looked at you like that, you better be ready to give him a hundred, right? <laughs> that, so this plays into two things. What I love about this event is that it's a challenge and it challenges you and I've, I heard something when I was young that was your hunting proficiency is half of what your practice proficiency is, which I still think that's a very accurate analogy. Yeah, I do too. So it's like, you know what? 
if if people are upset at me for bringing people to attack where our first shot's 100 yards, I want you to be able to make a 50-yard perfect shot on a mule deer here on the Wasatch. And I don't feel like that's unethical. But if you can't make that shot at 100 when we're just here having fun, you shouldn't be taking something half that distance when your heart's beating out your chest and you're nervous for the first time. With broadheads and With broadheads and crosswinds and sticks or you know and you're shaking when you're trying to range the thing so half the distance is a is a fair thing so if if anyone thinks it's not ethical to attempt shots that are double what you really are capable of doing well we're trying to get better long so that we're even better short and that's and i started shooting target archery for that reason because I wanted to be the most accurate bow hunter I could be. I didn't, I, I, I had gone down trails that didn't have some, something at the end of them and felt horrible. And I'm like, I don't want to feel, I don't like, I don't want to be sick to my stomach. I don't want all my friends out here trying to help me find this thing. So I'm like, how do I make a good shot every time? I need to become accurate. And, and I've even said like, I'm, I wouldn't make that shot. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like, would you do that shot? Knowing that it's possible, but I would say, no, I, I would not take that shot. Yeah, and I, th- I just think events like this, which are awesome, but I think it needs to be said. And so, when, again, when you're, when you're learning, when you're coming up, when you're growing, and you're dinging you know, the caribou at 114, it actually doesn't mean you should shoot a real caribou at 114. Like, this is golf. This is make-believe. This is not the real world, right? But again, until people, because this is all kind of new in the last few years, until people start talking about it on certain platforms, where are they going to learn it if they haven't learned it from a family member or a mentor growing up? And so, like it or not, I'm going to leave myself out of this for a second. You, you have kind of become the digital mentor, I call you Yoda, right, in some <laughs> regard. But, like, you, you have kind of taken over. We have. I mean, I, I'll, I'll throw myself in, right? Like, all of us in the industry have kind of had to take that on because if not, it's going to, you know, if, if Nick signs up a property and they have antelope or mule deer and people go on there and start taking dingers at 120 and that farmer or rancher goes out there and there's mule deer running around with arrows sticking in their ass, that's the end of that property. Yep. Like, that's the end of it. And then he's going to tell his neighbors, and that's the end of it for all of us, right? So where does that come from? And so when you told me you were involved in hunter education, like, I I don't know if I've been excited about something in the hunting industry more in the last three or four years than that, because I think that's one of the missing pieces. And then a place to go and find success and, and be able to, like, calm down and know you're the you know you're the only one or your your buddies are the only one or your family um and and try to work through this and find some success like that is what's going to make the industry strong and keep people around and not let them walk away three three years later you know we've had a lot of people come in to hunting in the last three years and we want them to stay for sure yeah it was hard work getting them here but you know i i think back to this one time one of the hardest... At band camp? Yes. Was it a band camp? Yeah, I did a lot of I band camp. I remember that. Camp. 
I probably would go to a band camp at this point in my life. <laughs> if they could teach me how to play a freaking guitar, I would go to a band camp. Uh, no, I, I, I remember this one piece of property when I, when I worked in Wisconsin. I would drive, we'd drive around at, light, at night uh, spotlighting. It, it was like legal and it was pretty popular back then, you know. And it's, I lived in that area where the albino deer was and stuff. And there was one place that just always had bucks. So it took me several years of going up and asking. But every single year I went and asked that farmer in the nicest way I could if there was any way that I could bow hunt. And eventually he let me bow hunt. And I remember I... I and it's when I really started shooting deer, you know, and, and I, I had to share that property with three other people and he made it clear, you guys figure out what part you're hunting and when, if any fights break out, you're all done. Like yeah, that's how it was. But I had to share it with three people and I didn't know their schedule and I, won't, I wasn't friends with them. So I went out there and I remember having a few very successful years there for turkeys and deer and then I went out deer hunting, and he had told me, if you see a coyote, you have to shoot it. And, I, and he, that was one of his rules. If you see a coyote, you got to shoot it. And I just said, okay, that's fine. So I went out, and I, a coyote came out, and it was a long shot. But I shot at it. And my arrow went in. It was pre-lighted knocks, too. My arrow went into the alfalfa. So it, I hunted the rest of the night. It got dark, and I left. Well, the next morning, I had to be at work at 8 o'clock. Didn't get light till you know, kind of right about then. So on my lunch hour, I went out there, and I was, went out with a metal detector. I worked at Matthews, so I went out there with my metal <laughs> detector. And I could see three, three swaths deep of alfalfa taken around all the edge, and I'm just like don't tell me you cut alfalfa today. And so I drive up and I pull in and I'm just going to the back. I'm walking, you know, I'm not wanting to drive across this field. I'm walking and here comes the tractor and I just see the smoke billowing out. No. And he came out and he came out and stopped his tractor and he had just a piece of my arrow. He had the back end of my arrow. And he's like, what was on the front of this? And and I always traveled with like a judo, like a thumper. And so I just had like that judo point thing is what I shot at that coyote. I, mean, I could barely afford broadheads. <laughs> and uh, he goes, what was on the other end of this? He said, well, it cut my cow's stomach. And I go, why? And he goes, I found this arrow inside of the feed trough. Oh. And so I came very close to like losing that. And I remember, like, I still to this day remember how easy it is to lose something that took so long to, like, get in the, my foot in the door. And it was, so I tell people when they're like, yeah, I took a bomb. I go, can you find the arrow? They're like, I didn't look. I go, dude, that'll be the one place that farmer drives a tractor. And yep. when that thing's in a tire and he goes into town and the tractor tires $600, and they freaking pull that broadhead out, it's done. Like, it's done, right? Yeah, not just for you, but everybody. 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 Yep. So, you know, I look back at that, 
the thing that I did, and I think that's so easy for everybody to do. Why, you know, just like with what I teach in archery when it comes to technique, I'll tell you about that in a second. I, you know, I should have freaking known that, but I didn't. It was just such a basic thing. And I, I, I should have spent a little bit more time thinking about the manners and like find that freaking thing, you know, or worst case, go tell him, right. Hey, I took a shot at a coyote. That would have been my best bet, right? That night. Yeah, you told me to do that. Like I did. Alan. Uh, yeah. You told me to shoot a coyote. I took a shot. I didn't get him, but it was kind of a long shot and I can't find my arrow. It's right back here. Dude, he would have been like, hey, I need to cut that alfalfa, but I'll, I'll stay out of that arrow tomorrow if you want to go look for it. Problem Commun solved. Communication. That's it was. It. Yep. Totally boiled down to that. You like that drink? Yeah. I invented this for Barklow. I, I thought this was the, the pineapple jalapeno, but... I call it laser cat. Laser lemons is really good. Laser cat is so better. So that's the Kill Cliff Octane, by the way. That's just, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's good. It's, it's juiced. But uh, that was... That was some tequila of your liking with the laser lemon, so I call it Laser Cat. I'm digging it. Okay. Laser Cat? Are you kidding Laser me? Cat. I'm yeah. down with that. Thundercats were solid, but Laser Cat? Come on. Yeah, Thundercats aren't, you know, for podcasts. <laughs> laser Cats are. <laughs> they were indeed. What's another, uh, what's another f fatal mistake an entry-level archer or bow hunter could do when it comes to just simple etiquette? You know one? Uh screwing pegs into private landowners trees oh yeah that one gets them too and i've done it done it yeah and you know got kicked off because of that that's another one i mean out west the single biggest one is driving either on. leaving gates open <laughs> yeah. or not closing gates properly and you're like huh well there's no cows around i'm only going to be in there the evening and the next thing you know the cows are out and there is no way. I've tried. I'm not a good cowboy. I couldn't get him back in. <laughs> no. Right? It only took one time. But I'm like, yeah, I'll never do that again. Got the humiliation you, know, that, that you feel to, to your point, like, yeah. whatever the price of a cow is, yeah. let's just say two grand. But, like, that's money walking around for that guy. And you just let him out. And now they got to spend time to go put him back in. That's right. So I, I'm 100%. very particular about closing gates now exactly the way i found them. well if someone walked in your house and said hey i'm a stranger are you cool with me using your bathroom and you were like yeah <laughs> and they just walked in and left your front door open and your dog runs out and gets out in the freaking street well the first question is is it uh what are you going to do in there number one or number two <laughs> if it's number two you're not you're not coming in my house yeah it's a very weird scenario number number one maybe but you got to sit down that, that's a standard rule that and is damn true. you got to close the front door yeah so I, I, after after all those things are met yeah i think so yeah what's funny is the people that are just trying to just trying to not do route C and they're trying to go from A to B and then they get in that conversation. And like, then they just like walk like, in and hear us talking. What are these people listening to? <laughs> Topic one. No, that's so, that's so critical. Uh, really thinking, if you go to a landowner's place and you think, my dad, my dad was kind of hard on me, like I could never clean up enough or whatever. I think if you think, if this was my dad's, <laughs> mm. 
what would I have my, to if do? This was so mine. Yell at me, right? Like if this was mine, I, that, I don't think that's fair because some people live oh, like that's hobos. True. That's true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. There's some people that don't clean up anything, and it's why they don't have anything. But I think you have to be like, you know, if if this was my boss's place and I knew I was going to get fired if I did X, Y, or Z, what should I do? You know, that's kind of that's kind of the first step, and then. I think above and beyond every single drop of every bit of that should be this, this level of thankfulness that's so high. So like we both have a friend who's invited us hunting that has amazing hunting. It's like you can't just be like, oh, that was cool, thanks. You have to realize I should be more thankful for that than anything I've ever experienced in my hunting life. And when it comes to getting permission from people or hunting someone's place, it's like, how do I show them how much this means to me? Like, you have to do it. And you have to, you have to realize there's a lot of other people that would love to do that too. And whoever's being the best is probably who's going to get invited back. And you have to play that game. And it's super critical that you do. And by the way, just because you paid them money for it doesn't mean that you, that doesn't apply. You know, like... It applies more, I think. And you, know? and you touched on something. I think communication. If you have a question, if you're like, hmm, I wonder if I can do that, ask. Yeah. Just ask. That's like the safest thing to do is you're not going to bug. What will bug them is if you don't and you do something that like what, you know, your experience was. Speaking of number one or number two, <laughs> th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this story. So, uh, and this the only reason I'm telling this story other than it's kind of funny is this goes to show you how random farmers or a private landowner might do something on their land. So like you you shouldn't be like, Oh, I'm all the way on the back end of his place. He'd never be back here. Like, so I, I went to South Dakota and and drove all around looking for antelope. And when I found antelope, I'd look in the plat, the county plat book, figure out who owned the land, and then go ask houses where that person would live because then you got to go find them because they're not all like, you know, if you're out in the West, they could be 30 miles away on their other place. So I went and got permission from this guy that was so much bigger than me came to the door his name was gerald and he was huge and i kind of just swallowed and said sir is there any way i could hunt antelope here and he said i don't have a problem with it if my little boy doesn't (laughs) so i'm like all right so we went to the house right next like we just walked over and he knocked on the door and then todd like turned his head and like came out and he goes do you care if this kid hunts antelope here and he goes no, he looks like a good kid. So they took me out and drove me all around, and they showed me where they thought I should go sit to get an antelope. So Todd kind of drove me around in this truck. I mean, it was the loudest truck. There was every fence post and wire roll and pair of pliers and hubcap and everything was in the back of this truck driving out in this field and antelope are just scattering like flies and i'm like oh man you know this isn't and he said you need to set up right here so i I set up there and i and i walked out that night 
so that I knew which way I would walk out. Because he told me, just please don't drive out in the fields. He goes, this is a long way out here. So I parked and like, I don't know if it was like my earning my stripes or my penalty. I had to walk about two sections to get to where this spot was. So I'm walking with my headlamp on down this fence line because he just told me if you park your truck over by the house and you walk that fence line the whole time you'll run into this spot so i'm walking the fence line walking the fence line walking the fence line all of a sudden i see something in my headlamp and i look and it's just an old 35 horse tractor down on its side back tires been blown out there's grass as high as the muffler and right as I'm like seeing that, I'm walking and then my morning coffee hits me and I'm like, oh, I'm in a wide open field and I go, I'm going to, I got to just get to that tractor. So I got to that tractor and the only thing I had to lean on was that one good tire or no, I leaned on the bad tire actually. So did my thing, kept going another mile and got into my blind and I hunted I ended up shooting an antelope on day one at like two in the afternoon. So I stashed the antelope inside of my blind so it's in the shade and I'm like going down this fence and I'm, I'm looking at the fence thinking like, am I sure this is the fence that I was on this morning? I'm going, I'm going and going. And then all of a sudden I see all the tall grass and I can see the muffler and I'm like, oh yeah, there's a tractor. So as I'm going by it or as I'm coming up to it, I'm like swing wide and you don't want to step in anything. So help me, I like swing wide and I look and the tractor's there, but it's missing one of the tires. And I was like, wait a minute. No, I was for sure on this side of the fence and I know I leaned against the tire. So I like go over there to like find the evidence and the tire's gone, but there's just like a big dirt patch, <laughs> like to the dirt, like to the dirt. And so I walk all the way back to the house and I knock on the door and Todd comes out and I said, Todd, I got one. Would you like to help me get it back to the house? However you want me to transport it. And he said, yep, that's fine. We drove out there and it was just the day before he was real talkative, very talkative, told me about everything, pointed everything out. This was a very quiet ride out and we threw all my gear in his truck and we bebopped back and we get back to the driveway and his dad comes out because he wants to see so like before dad gets to the truck he like slams it in park and he just looks at me and he goes around here we don't take craps next to tires <laughs> <laughs> and i go what and he goes i stepped in your crap he's like don't do it again <laughs> And I'm thinking, I was so far from anything. And that tractor, had, I know that Todd had been told by Gerald to change that freaking tractor tire for probably five years. And the one time I need <laughs> a three-foot radius of that tire is the day that Todd finally goes out. And so, again, that fast you could make a fatal mistake. Like, yep. just don't crap on people's stuff. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's I just, thinking about and hearing you tell that story, we probably should add that into listings when you book something. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Read the fine like, line. Where do you, like, hey, this could happen, and you do have to go to the bathroom if you're out here all day. Like, 
what what do you guys want us to do? Yeah, but you know, it's those little things like that or what do you do with the toilet paper? I, I killed an antelope, I don't know, seven, eight years ago in the middle of an alfalfa field. And I walk up to it and I'm stoked and I take my pictures and then I realize I'm like, damn, I never did ask this guy, like, could I, could I gut the gut antelope yeah. in the middle of the field? Right. And I didn't know what to do. And that buddy had actually helped me get on the place. And so I'm like, I got to drag this whole thing out. Like, I, I don't want to field dress it here because, to your point, if he runs his tractor or combine through there and he runs into an antelope carcass that he's not expecting, and, you know, I mean, how am I going to describe where it is out there in the middle of nowhere? And so I dragged that thing, not a whole section, but probably three-quarters of a section, to get it out into a ditch and then finally could take care of it because I just didn't know that was the right and decision. I, did, I didn't yeah. want to I didn't want to risk it but you don't think about that until it happens time, until like, it oh. happens you're like oh I don't actually know what to do now yeah that's totally a 50 50 too because I've yeah. had times where I've a landowner's like hey did you're back early and you know what happened I go oh I got something but I'm, I came back to get my cart because I want to get it out of the field and they're like oh no do it all right where it's at you know do it you know, do it out there, and if you know, I want if there's coyotes on, I'll be able to see them and get shots. And you know, so it, it's a 50-50. But field dressing and carcass should be a question to the landowner. Totally. We can add that in. Yeah, that yep. should a hundred percent. Where would you like if we have to field dress it? Is there a location where it's acceptable? If we debone and we only take meat, is is there a boneyard? Because they might be like, yeah, all of our cows go right over there or whatever. But that's another one that's so critical and can cost you everything you've worked for yep. to like get a place, you know. And and honestly, some of these same type of rules immediately immediately apply to common courtesy within public hunting because it's you know the, there's a lot of common courtesies that are people uh, that I've experienced are just like I'm out here too. I don't care. But I think everybody should care about each other because everyone will benefit more if that was the case. You know, you have to be respectful. You know, if I see something, but I also see someone going after it, I'm not going to try to get there first. I mean, it's like... Oh, but how many times does that happen? What? When, when all of a sudden you're racing towards the same mule deer, right? Like, all of a sudden, that's starting <laughs> well, to happen. I actually did do it to that's you. Starting, that's starting... No, no, that, no, well, that was that an hour. Bull. I gave yeah, you a freaking an hour to get to me, dude. You, you did, and I got there an hour and five minutes. <laughs> you got there an hour. I, I literally, I'm like, dude, if he doesn't get here in one hour, and that thing walks right by me, I'm gonna shoot it, and I... I would I would have shot it, too. Dude, like it, it walked 10 yards from me, and I knew you were within, like, 200 yards. No, I couldn't. But I, I couldn't knew it was going to see you. me in But eight, you, we knew months. each other. But but my point is, you know, because <laughs> unfortunately. You came up with your freaking wool zipped down like that. Yeah. And there was just, like, you looked like a Palomino <laughs> horse when you take a saddle <laughs> off of it. There was just white foam. Like, you were knocked and ready, and you're like, where is he? And I go, he's right over there, but he's dead. <laughs> But this, I don't know if you heard, Nick, but like this last year in Montana, you know, it was like, it was like a foot race for these mule deer out east. And it just got, it just kind of got ugly. You know, it's literally who could get to the first firing position and start to shoot. And then, you know, guys are shooting probably, you know, 
I wasn't there, but sounded like unsafe shots. And, and it just it just doesn't need to be that way. Well, it was this last year or the year before. There was a 360 degree firing line around a herd of elk out just in the you know on the other side of the bridges too, and like landowners. I mean, a guy had a heart attack on the side of the road. I think he died. But it's just you know that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, this isn't worth that. You know, and this is not the experience that I'm coming out there for. Uh, but yeah, those types of things are absolute etiquette for public too. One thing that I'll say on top of that, when it comes to this is this is an, an awesome tool to now have your foot in a door to educate, and I'll let you expand on this, but to educate what I would say is with that in mind, now you have an awesome opportunity to book a day ahead of time and not like the day ahead of time, book a time to go there. As soon as you lock that in, you're like, hey, this fall, I'm going to here for whitetails. You know, that would be an awesome place to book a spring turkey hunt, to just go there and talk to the guy and say, hey, I'm going to hunt turkeys till noon. After that, I'm not really going to be that serious about it. Can you show me where you think I might need to set up for whitetail season? Or out here out west, like I've got – I've got friends that will come out here in August to enjoy this and come out and enjoy it, book a day, see what's in the local area, meet that landowner and say, hey, I'm really excited about coming back. I wanted you to meet my family. Here, you know, here's my family. They won't be with me when I come in the fall. But, you know, hey, I'm going to be with my family a lot. But if you've got a, an hour or so, one day before we leave, I, you know, I'd love it if you could give me any pointers for this fall. Dude. That is a one. It's a courteous move. That's just simple that's the manners thing. and courte yeah. and being courteous. But it also will make you more successful because they will invest in you the way you just invested time in them. Don't you agree? Yeah. No. And you know, I've been a real big proponent of if you want to come out and say hunt elk, and you've never been to an area, I, I think it is. If, if you're going to cash in your vacation and all that time and money, buy a turkey tag, buy a spring bear tag, come go, out, go fish, bring the family, go fish, shoot a bird, stalk a bear, learn the land. You know, the elk probably aren't going to be there, right? Or the mule deer probably won't be there. But you're learning, you're gathering that intel. Like I am really, I told you, Nick, before we got on, I was like, I do a lot of things well preseason scouting is not one of them like the digital like on like I, I just don't do it I, I just don't I'm I'm telling everybody I don't do it I don't have the time I don't have the patience but I will go if I'm like oh I can go out there and actually turkey hunt bear hunt go check out my area go check out the trailheads drive around the unit have a family vacation right which is going to earn you some points take the kids fishing whatever the case may be then when you go back out there in the fall you are that much better prepared right and, th and that doesn't that, that could be public, that could be you yep. know, private, what, whatever it is. But it's like you have to invest that time and start banking as much on your side to stack the odds in your favor as possible. And then I think the other thing people, you know, and I did this at first, but I think you have to make the conscientious effort of saying, you know what, if I do this, I'm going to give it three years and, and, and bank that karma and see what starts to happen and learn an area. And one thing I have not done very well, because, you know, I came from Alaska down to Montana. Montana is a huge state. I have not gone often back to the same place. 
And it's just because I want to go check out another area. But if you go back to the same place and you start to learn the animal movements and the thermals and where the water is and where the trailheads are and where people aren't, like that is huge to, to finding success, yeah, private well, or public. One season you learn, you learn shortcuts, you learn thermals, you learn... Honestly, you learn what not to try to tackle. Like, you'll yeah. be like, oh, dang, I'm, I fr- if I wouldn't have came in here, that thing wouldn't have heard me. Like, you just learn all that stuff. It's so critical. And this stuff, a lot of what we're talking about is very specific to people that might be going onto someone's land that maybe they're there on a lease or something. You know, if you... If you're getting your own permission on property, it's even more fragile than when you're yeah. technically bu- just buying time on it. So what I would recommend, and one of the things that I would always do, is I would always go to that farmer and just let him know. I, I would always visit him on a holiday, but I would always say, if there's one day where you know you need labor, if you could tell me that, like, I am here, and, and if he says, we always put hay up on Labor Day weekend, I'd be like, I'll be there to put hay up. Cause, and, and it's not like you have to do it every day of the week, but making one gesture like that is so critical to just building an awesome relationship with, with someone and treating, just treating someone like their family. And honestly... We probably should address it that way is when we, you know, when we bring these new people into the hunting community, we need to say like, listen, this is like your brother in. What are you pointing at? Oh, we have a minute. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is like your tribe now. So all of us are in the same boat. We need to all be that nice to each other. And we also need to be looking out for each other's backs all the time. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, you know, I, I have certain brands I pick and choose. There's a lot of awesome vendors out here. And I go by a lot, a lot of these vendors. I'm like, I don't personally use your stuff, but you have great stuff. I've tried it. I really like it. And, and a lot of my friends have it. I don't care what brand you represent. I just want, I want us to represent ourselves in the best possible mannerism. And I feel like new people coming in, I've neglected to tell you how important it is for you to be the nicest person that you can when you experience your first hunts. And yeah. when, when you do, it'll change, it'll change our industry because people need to realize how much we care about that land and that environment. They, they need to understand that it's not just the animal. Like, we love this. You know, there's so many people. Right here's one. She always hikes with him. You always hike with them. You know, she loves being out here and enjoying this. And that's the message that we have to share is that we collectively as a community love the outdoors. We love hunting. We love animals. And we don't want them to go away. We want more awesome ones. Like we want more cool ones. Yeah. If they could bring in like mini moose genetically, like I'm down with that. <laughs> I will put money forth towards mini moose re reestablishment preferably in iowa (laughs) so yeah that's my two cents thank you guys so much for coming nick tell them where they can find you uh yeah i I don't have social media personally but uh land trust does on instagram and facebook and all that good stuff landtrust.com 
is uh, the website. You can go see, you know, a million acres plus of, of farms and ranches all over the country that, you know, you could maybe you'll be out on in the next month, week, whatever. Barklow, if they want that knowledge of the storm, where do they get that knowledge? So Jay Barklow on Instagram and then knowledgefromstorms.com and on YouTube. Yeah. Nailed it. I'm glad you got a YouTube channel. Smart move. Slow, man. I'm slow. But. <laughs> you are slow. <laughs> you are slow. But I, I just love found it when, out about it last year. I love year. it when there's a lot of elk on his back, though, because those freaking wheels right there are just <laughs> slow and steady, and they do not stop. They just keep going. So just freaking – if you can put it on top of him, he'll go with it. So it's awesome. Those are all good problems. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate you being here, yeah, too. Thanks, RMF, John. thank you for such an amazing event, and I'm pumped. Be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom designed products, as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best.